from the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the persistence of therapy. One of the clinician intuitions were that spectacles alone not only gave immediate improvement in acuity because of correction of amitropia, but it also provides a therapeutic improvement in acuity in maybe similar ways, maybe not, as patching. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Hertel declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians, the first podcast to offer CME credit, and the first to offer multinational editions, is now co-sponsored by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. The ASCRS recognizes the power of this new medium in communication and education of physicians everywhere. This partnership will allow us to bring new content to you and add new voices to our community. From Manhattan to Mumbai, from the Bay Area to Beijing, one conversation as seen from here. Anyone who has ever invested in a mutual fund knows that past performance may not be indicative of future results. Does the same apply to amblyopia? If a child has made progress with patching or atropine penalization, do the gains persist after the therapy has been stopped? The Pediatric Eye Disease Investigator Group has made a study of this question. Representing the group, I have Richard Hurdle with me today. Prior to your study, what did we know about the stability of visual improvement following patching or atropine therapy? Well, um, what we know is that the, the studies, there were wide estimates and ranging uh, of regression following treatment with discontinuation, as we kind of mentioned in our first paragraph, from as low as 6% to as high as 67% in many, uh, in many studies, and actually some of the larger and as well done as could be done studies. So anywhere from a few percent to two-thirds of the kids were reported to have regressed after cessation of treatment. Richard, can I get you to describe the design of this study? Sure. I, I think it's important a little bit to, because this study is piggybacked on our original trial. The original trial uh, studied over 500 kids at 49 centers. It's a multi-center randomized clinical trial which compared uh, atropine and patching and near work with spectacle correction to spectacle correction alone in the age group of 7 to 17. And we broke down uh, uh, the age groups into uh, two-year age groups, 7 to 9, 9 to 11, 11 to 13, and, and 13 to 17. And what we found for the purposes of analysis in the first study group that there was a significant difference in the, uh, in the outcome in the younger age group. So between 7 and under 12, the 7 to 13 group, 53% of the patients improved when you added treatment to the glasses versus about 23% when you, when you just treated them with glasses alone. And in the older group, both, both in group, about 23 to 25% in each group, they still improved, but there was no difference whether you added the kitchen sink, which was the atropine patching and one hour of near work versus just the glasses alone. 
So what we decided to do, since most of the responders, um, the successfully treated ones, were the 53% in that younger age group, that's the group that we chose to follow uh, for the one year after, and that's what this second paper is. It's that younger age group uh, of the 53% that became responders. And the, the definition of responder in that first group were uh, kids that had improved at least, at least 10 letters which means that they didn't improve, that's not ch a chance occurrence. So these, all of these kids in this study that we're talking about now were kids that had improved in the 7 to 12 age group at least 10 letters or more. And we followed them up after cessation of treatment for a year. So they stopped treatment and then they came in for follow-up evaluations. How were these children measured in the context of this study? The Pediatric Eye Disease Investigator Group is an NEI-supported multi-center uh, group of community and academic pediatric ophthalmologists in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And uh, we've been working together, I guess, for all, all, a decade now, a little over, uh, just about, yeah, I guess it's just exactly a decade. And uh, what we've done, what we did initially as a study group was try and unify some of our testing methods that would later be implemented as outcomes or outcome measures as a group. And many of these were visual acuity measurements. And we first did uh, a, uh, a standardized testing, which we did reliability and validity data on multiple centers on the younger kids using single-surrounded HOTV optotypes with matching in a staircase method, a psychophysical paradigm that was a threshold to staircase method. We then, in the older kids, repeated this reliability and validity study using ETDRS letters much the same way as is done in the uh, ETRDR studies and all of the multicenter trials in adults that are part of the ETDRS and many other retinal studies. And what we've, we've done is oh, the kids over seven are, have had a, a validity and reliability study on the ETDRS, which is a previous study showing that we could obtain a number letter score rather than a linear acuity. So these letters then are accumulated uh, it is a number score, 80, 85. I think the 80 to 85 level is somewhere around 2030 to 2025. And so we now have numbers of letters that we can compare rather than lines of acuity. And we found that the kids, uh, that w within, two, within 10 letters, there was no chance that the kids could uh, be guessing within 10 letters. The variability was one line either way, not two lines. That was way outside any possibility of chance. So that we used that study, that validity study to define our outcome measure of acuity in these other trials. In earlier podcasts, we spoke with Sue Cotter and with David Wallace regarding previous arms of this study, looking at limited patching therapy and looking at spectacle therapy by itself for the treatment of amblyopia. Right. And, you know, one of the things we found out with this study, with the earlier study that I think is very important and, I, and this has been the clinician's impression, um, and some of these studies confirm clinician impression and clinician intuition, uh, and some don't. And one of the clinician intuitions were that spectacles alone not only gave immediate improvement in acuity because of correction of amitropia, but it also provides a therapeutic improvement in acuity in maybe similar ways, maybe not, as patching. In other words, there are neurophysiological changes that occur over time by having a, a, the retinal image be exact, so not having a blurred image. What were the etiologies of the amblyopia in the children in the study? 
Yeah, that's a good point. We did not study any deprivation amblyopia. This was either anisometropic amblyopia, strabismic amblyopia, or a mixture of the two. And, and, all, and our previous studies showed that this population makes up approximately three-quarters to 80% of the amblyopic population, maybe a little bit more. So that this is the most common force. These three forms are the most common forms of amblyopia. Richard, what were your findings? This study was on 80 patients, and 67 or 84% completed the study defined as a year of follow-up from uh, the, after completing at least 10 letters increase. And so the 67 patients completing the study, I think some of the highlighted results are um, that the, the mean and standard deviation in amblyopic acuity since the treatment discontinuation was zero, plus or minus four letters at three months, this is for the entire group, plus or minus 3.9 letters at uh, six months, and minus 1.3 plus or minus five letters at one year. And one-year letter visual acuity was within four letters, that's less than a line, of the visual acuity at the same time of treatment discontinuation for 69%. Some patients, 3% of an increase of, of another 10 letters or more, 9% an increase of 5 to 9, so some patients even continue to improve. And uh, 7% had a visual acuity decrease of 10 letters or more of the whole group. And I think that's the single line result, the item there, is that only 7% of the population had a significant or 10 letter or greater loss in acuity at any time during that one year follow-up. What was the mean age of the kids in this study? This was 7 to 12, and the mean age was 9. Did the older kids tend to have more stable results over the course of the study? Um, actually, the seven to, if you broke it up into 7, 9, and 10 to 12-year-olds, 4% of them regressed versus 15% of the 10 to 12-year-olds, although we, there was not enough statistical difference. We did statistics on it, and we really just we presented that in the table, but we couldn't do enough statistical analysis to say there was a huge difference. But there definitely was a trend that the regression in the younger kids was a little less, the 7- to 9-year-olds than the 10- to 12-year-olds. More than 10% of the younger children in the study actually demonstrated a substantial improvement in their amblyopia over the study period. Does this relate to your previous studies demonstrating an improvement in amblyopia with spectacle therapy alone? Yeah, and, well, this, this population that we're studying in this paper all had received treatment at the time, and then everything was discontinued. But the fact that there was an actual gain over the study period... After cessation of treatment. That's correct. Yeah, um, that, that is something that's been noted that's new, and we really couldn't explain that completely, but that's a new finding, and that's the kind of thing that you see when you do a well-designed prospective trial, because chart review and retrospective trials can't get that kind of data. And so that, that's a relatively new finding, and it, it, that may be related to an age-related uh, increase in acuity. There's still some development even to the mid-teens, but we're not sure, and it's just guesswork about why that happens. It may be continued treatment. We know that in some of the other studies, it could take as long as a year or more to continue improving in amblyopia therapy with just spectacles alone. What do you know about the patients who dropped out of the study? Do you think that they would have skewed your findings? No, that's a very good question. Uh, about Among the 13 who didn't complete the study, five had uh, no protocol followed visits, three dropped out after three months, and five dropped out after six months. And the mean age of the patients not completing the study was 9.6 compared to the 9.2 who did. And um, 
69% of the patients not completing the study were female compared with 37% of the patients who completed. There was otherwise no difference. What we did do was um, we imputed the results using the data of the patients who completed the study, the one-year risk of worsening 10 letters or more for the patients who did not complete the study provided an estimate of 7% of the 13 non-completers would have had a worsening of 10 letters or more in visual acuity. So we did some statistics from the data that we had at the times that we did have in the patients that didn't complete it and did some imputing and found it was about the same rate, 7%. So those 13 patients don't really at least statistically affect the outcome. Meaning of the 13 patients, possibly one would have expected to have lost vision. Right. Did the results vary with the pretreatment acuity or with the amount of improvement when the patients initially received therapy for their amblyopia? Yes, the the amount of improvement that some of the patients had um, depended on their pretreatment level of acuity because patients were originally rolled into the study up into tw- with uh, initial acuities at the 2200 level. So um, there was a larger degree that they can improve, although the average acuity entrance at this, in this study of these patients was 2080. At the end of the study, 79% of the patients had 2040 or better vision total, so that there was the, 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 age, the range of acuities uh, was a lot narrower in this group. Uh, at the time of treatment discontinuation, 45% had visual acuity in the amblyopic eye of 2025 or better, 34% had 2032 to 2040, 14% had 2050 to 2080, and 8% had still had 2100 or worse. So there was a little bit narrower range because they had been previously treated. Did your findings vary with the amblyopia type that the children had with the particular etiology? Yeah, we tried to, we didn't have enough patients in this study in the 67 to look at the separate groups um, to see if there was a variable that could have been a cofactor. We did do that analysis in the original study and found no no effect regarding uh, initial um, other than age, really, uh, there was no statistically significant difference or other factor, such as uh, the uh, one of the variables that you've discussed. And you know, so the type of strabismus didn't matter. There was no difference whether it was anisometropic or anisometropic plus strabismic or strabismic amblyopia. That was in the original study with the final treatment outcome. We didn't have enough patients in these groups to be able to say anything like that statistically. In other words, would the strabismic amblyopes regress more than the anisometropics? We didn't have enough patients in each group to be able to do any any statistics to answer that. As you mentioned earlier, previous studies that had examined this question had provided very variable results. How does your finding compare with those of previous studies? Ours is, is on the very low end of most of them. There's only one other study that's really as low as ours. And so ours is really the lowest end, and, and especially dealing with an older age group, the 7 to 17 age group. And that's you know, we kind of globally reviewed those. But in, in the older age group, the treat first the effect of treatment, it's been kind of reported that there has been a, a very little effect of treatment at all. And the few studies that look at older age groups reported higher regression rates in them. So we have a very low regression rate in this population. Why do you think your findings are different from these previous studies? Yeah, I think part of this is because our patient population, over 80% of them or 85% of them, were put in either new spectacles or spectacles for the first time. There was a group in the original study, a large group, uh, as 50% of the study population 
of the original study had never been treated for amblyopia before. This is 7 to 17-year-olds and of 507 kids had never been treated for amblyopia. So we think that the regression may be that 50% of our kids were never treated before, so they got a profound effect from treatment. And the other part of our protocol that we didn't fully understand was that the spectacles themselves provided treatment, and we kept them in the spectacles after uh, initiation into this follow-up study. So we didn't take them out of glasses, we kept them in glasses. And if glasses are part of the treatment, then they're still really getting treatment over the course of that year. We've just taken off part of their treatment, not all of the treatment. We've taken away the patching, atropine, and near work, but we haven't taken away the glasses. So they may be still partially treated. So it may be better to think of this population as um, what is the regression like in older kids who've been treated and then just left in partial treatment glasses? Right. I follow what you're saying. But given that the issue with occlusion therapy and with atropine penalization therapy is that it's sometimes hard to get the parents to comply with the therapeutic plan, there's a huge difference between treating them with these therapies and treating them with spectacles alone. Well, we know that. We know that in the 7 to 12 percent, two times as many, you know, twice as many kids got better when you added that other treatment as the glasses alone. We, d- we know that from the original study. So that's the important point to say to families is that you have about a 25% chance of improving if you just wear the glasses, and you have a double out of 50% chance of improving if you add this other treatment. Richard, have these findings changed the way that you practice? Um, I, you know, I think that those of us who are really heavily into these trials kind of use this as, as some practice guidelines. I think a better answer, because personally I'm very biased in that, I've been part of these trials, and and I'm trying to remain equipoised, but yes, it has changed, and I use these trials as part of my evidence-based medical teaching, not only to the fellows and residents, but also in my own practice. But there was a recent survey, I think the, I'm not sure it's been published yet, um, but I did see it either as a poster or a paper at one of our, at our recent meeting, that the pediatric ophthalmology community, at least the APOS community, has changed their practice, and it was regarding the effect of the shorter hours of patching and the use of atropine and their attention to evidence-based medicine and pediatric ophthalmology. So this, these kinds of studies, I, I think, are filtering into the community very rapidly and changing the way we treat amblyopia. Richard Hurdle, thank you so much. Yeah, jo- it was a pleasure, Josh. I appreciate you doing this work. Richard Hurdle is Chief of Ophthalmology at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and Director of Pediatric Ophthalmology and Strabismus at UPMC Eye Center, Eye and Ear Institute. He's also Professor of Ophthalmology and Bioengineering at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Ask questions of Dr. Hurdle or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States style area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm